0: Today on our podcast, we have someone who is making a little side income growing citrus in the Pacific Northwest. We're talking with Donna Balzer about growing lemons for profit. Donna is the co-host of the internationally aired HGTV show, Bugs and Blooms, a regular guest on CBC Radio in Alberta, a popular and inspirational public speaker around gardening, and the best-selling author of No Guff vegetable gardening. Donna lives with her adoring husband in Qualcomm Beach, BC with her puppy. She has two greenhouses, 12 grandchildren, three grand dogs, four grand cats, and two grand guinea pigs all spread across Alberta and BC. Welcome to the show today, Donna. You're ready to rock. I am so ready. Excellent. <laughs> so I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today?
1: Hmm. Well, when I when I was three, my mom says I asked every day when the strawberries would be ready.
0: Oh, nice. And I just kept
1: standing out in the garden saying, when are the carrots going to be ready? And I just <laughs> had such a serious tone. And yet she was surprised when I was 17 and signed up for a horticulture degree at university. She was like, what? Why don't you think clean fingernail? Why don't you do a secretary job or something like that? But I was convinced I had to learn more about gardening. And I love it. I've never had a day when I said, hmm, too bad I didn't become a, I actually thought about applying to be a dentist. Oh my gosh. I heard they made a lot of money and I thought, hmm. But then I just completely discounted that, went into horticulture, became a horticulturist, taught at college, worked at a botanical garden, which was so eye-opening because you think you know everything about gardening and it's so humbling and so Crazy when you're working where you've got a conservatory and you've got a cold mm. weather climate. Mm-hmm. And my bulk of my career, when I started having kids and started really working at it, was in Calgary, Alberta. And I don't know if you've heard about Calgary, but it is the worst gardening climate in the world. And I say that, yeah, quite simply because they're at the same elevation as Banff, but they have these chinooks that blow in. So it might be nice and cold, but then it warms up to plus maybe. 30, which would be 70 80 yep, 90 80. in Fahrenheit so, so it, it warms up so much and then the plants just can't adapt so I became the specialist in the world's worst gardening place and that was fun and challenging and yeah, so I've wow. always gardened always gardened myself but always actually since I started working at the botanical garden in 86 and then moved on to teaching at college I've just always helped people with gardening and I really enjoy it
0: Nice. We're kind of in common there. I got my first fish aquarium when I was nine Ooh. because I was interested in fish farming back then. <laughs> so, That's crazy. Yeah. I didn't Not a actually, clean fingernail job either, is it? Not at all. Not at all. My first business in Phoenix from when I was 15 to 24, I used to clean service and build fish ponds for people. I was managing their fish ponds and I made a great little niche, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. My parents and my true and and true parent, uh, uh, the way they were being, they pushed me and pushed me and pushed me. And so in 1984, I went out and got a real job and stopped doing the fish ponds, which wasn't very happy to me. That real job lasted less than a year and I got fired from it.
1: (laughs) well my sisters were better than me my older one became a teacher my younger one a nurse I mean those were the traditional girl jobs right exactly but you know it's just a real icebreaker if they find out you're a gardener just like if you meet a doctor at a party or something everybody has a question for a gardener and I grew that into all those many years at CBC phone-in shows of course you never know the exact answer well, maybe you know it sometimes, but you just always know how things work in the big picture when you've been doing it yeah. for so long. So you can make an educated guess. Yeah. So I guess that part, that period I did with CBC was really fun. And then it went into writing and just everything else that happens when you're passionate about a topic.
0: Right. And so growing citrus in <laughs> B.C. in British Columbia. <laughs> When I saw that topic, it was like, what is she talking about? Tell me about that.
1: I know. And we're growing them outside. Oh my gosh, really? It's weirdness. I know it's so weird. I heard about a fellow in Victoria, which is not too far from me, who had opened a little business after he retired, Bob, mm-hmm. fruit trees and more. I went and visited him. I said, what are you doing, Bob? He was an entomologist for like 35 years. And then he became a grower. And by the time I left there, which was about five years ago, I said, oh, I have got to try this. This sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, we can grow almost anything, really, root crops, leaf crops. We can grow most of our food, but that little magical Thing, that citrus thing it adds so much to your flavor so much to your right. profile of what you're serving for dinner I was like I've got to try this and so I bought of course a plant from Bob a little plant for about $50 it was just a little tiny plant mm-hmm. and the first year I had to prune it I thought oh just cut some back second year oh it was getting quite big third year I was like you know I'm not just going to throw away all this stuff I'm taking off I'm going to see if I can root it And then,
0: oh my gosh, really
1: rooted it and started selling that. And yeah, it became quite a little, it's quite a little business. I guess I make about $5,000 a year off just lemon trees.
0: Wow. So you're making the money from cuttings and on the tree, not necessarily the lemons.
1: Oh, I don't sell the lemons. People ask me every year, are you selling the lemons? But I've only had this tree for seven years. This first tree that I got from Bob growing outside. I've only had it for seven years. And last year I had 150 lemons on it. Well, think about it, Greg, 150 lemons. I can use that many lemons in my sleep. I mean, if you make a lemonade, you need 10 oh, yes. lemons. Yep. But, uh-huh. no, I've never, I've given them away. I have to say, I have to special guests, given them a lemon,
0: uh-huh. but I've never
1: sold a lemon, just the lemon tree.
0: Wow. Excellent. And how do you keep them from freezing? Well, it's a little bit of a story. When a tree
1: is small, a lemon tree is small, you can move it. You could move it into an unheated garage or you can move it into a cold cellar that had a bit of light. You could move it. The worst case scenario, because of the way bugs, again, I have so much background in all these various things like pests. The worst thing you can do is to take it from a cold outside space and put it in a hot solarium. And put extra lights on it so that you've got long days. Because what would happen then is the spider mites, which are a natural problem on all things to do with citrus, most tropical Mm -hmm. things. The spider mites would say, "Hmm, we normally go dormant sort of in the fall when the days get short and cold. And now, hey, you know what? Lots of light, lots of heat. Let's just multiply like crazy. People lose all the leaves on their lemons and they just, it's a disaster. So keeping them cold is not a big deal. We actually know that they can go between, ooh, I'm going to be low stuff. I'm only Celsius six or seven degrees below zeros. So mm-hmm. that'll be underneath, below below zero, below frost. So below 32 yeah. Fahrenheit, you can go quite really? a ways below that. What you might see happen is you might freeze your lemons. You've heard mm-hmm. of that when they have the big frosts in Florida. Oh, yes. that yep. Orange crop, froze. The lemon crop but with lemons you might freeze them but you won't kill the plant. And the other thing about citrus and specifically lemons, and limes and I like to specialize in the Meyer lemon because I oh, love yes. how it's very sweet skinned and it's just lovely. Yep. That one it can stay outside here. We had our coldest weather last winter because as you know, climate change Oh yeah. had our coldest winter. It was minus 13 Celsius. And what happened was we had covered it in the fall and it was fine. So I'll tell you how I cover it. Do you want to hear that?
0: Yes, absolutely. Okay. So first. In big part, because I have a lemon tree and I'm in Asheville, North Carolina now, and it's getting cold. So yes, Mm -hmm. how do I cover it?
1: Okay. So first thing we know is that they prefer to be in the ground. Lemons preferred. They can stay alive in a pot but I had heard that uh, the roots might be tender, so it's best to have them in the ground, but not in a low area in the ground. They don't want to have water pooling around them. And I learned this from a friend from Croatia, of all crazy things. He said, well, we don't have much water in Croatia, and when we're finished with whatever water we've used to wash our clothes or whatever, we put it on our lemons, So they just get infrequent water. So I knew from that little clue that lemons are Mediterranean, they're kind of hot climate, but also dry climate. So I put a big planter in my garden which is made with basically sidewalk blocks on edge the plant is in there I started with one lemon and one lime a meyer lemon a bear's lime side by side and then I got some old school Christmas lights do you know what I mean the seven watt the ones that give off just a little bit of heat
0: yes exactly
1: garage sale strung them around the tree believe it or not you can still buy the bulbs I thought they'd be all done now with everything led but they're not you can still buy the bulbs so as the old green or red or blue bulbs burn out i just replace them with clear bulbs and i string those on the tree usually first week of november and then i plug it in to a thermostat the thermostat is plugged in to the outlet so you can set the thermostat whatever you want but i set it at uh, this is the funny thing it's um it's in fahrenheit The only thermostat I could find is in Fahrenheit. So I set it at 40 degrees. I don't Uh really know what I want it to be just above zero, just above. I set it at 40 degrees. So the trees are outside in a raised bed. The Christmas lights are circling. When it was tiny, I just had one set of lights. Now I have two sets of lights per plant. Uh And then I cover it with Agribon. We used to call it Remade. Do you know Remade? Oh, yes. Yeah, agribon, so I know
0: them both. Why don't the you want not tell our listeners, though, what it is?
1: Okay, the summer weight of Rime or agribon is very thin. It's like a 19. It's perfect for keeping pests off plants. It's perfect for just maybe a few degrees of frost protection. But the 50, the Agrabond 50, is quite thick. It's quite sort of yep. rubbery. And it's actually my go-to because you can get up to 8 degrees frost protection. So I wrap the whole plant in that. So you've got your raised bed you've got your christmas lights you've got your agribon and i use the big clamps to just clamp it together i used to kind of tie it off or use clothes pegs and you know once you've used clothes pegs they sometimes just fall apart and pop off right and i set my thermostat and when it's just above zero so when i think it's going to freeze or actually i'd never even look out the window at night i never know when it's going to freeze all of a sudden it starts to freeze the lights come on and because it's under the agribon under the fabric cover, it'll hold in a bit of the heat, but also that little bit of light just stops the frost. You know, frost is kind of lazy when you think about it. It rolls down hills, it rolls over things, it'll move around. People don't realize that about frost. They think it's just some kind of inanimate thing, like snow right. falls straight down. Yes. Frost actually flows. So if it flows over the agribon, it sort of skips over it. I've had frost on my greenhouse roof, but not on my agribon. It's quite interesting. And so I just leave it. And in the spring, last year, as I said, was a particularly harsh winter. It got down to minus 13 Celsius here. And I did lose a few branches. But when I uncover it, 90% is still there. And any lemons that were starting to form up in the fall are still there. It's so crazy. In fact, sometimes I cheat and reach in during the winter and pick a few and then clip it back up together on a warm day. So, yeah, it's fantastic.
0: So did the lime make it?
1: The lime, it's a bear's lime, B-E-A-R-S mm-hmm. lime. It produces about 10 limes a year. We always joke that we're growing our, our own GNTs. We don't we don't really get enough to do serious lime pies or anything like right. that. But with the lemons, we did have 150 lemons last year.
0: And that's, you know, 150 lemons, what 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 I would do in Phoenix is I'd juice my 150 lemons and stick it in jars and mason jars in the fridge and that's my always lemonade. Available. It's mm-hmm. always available. And you know what yeah. I
1: love? Because we have both gardened for so long, we know this. When a bean is ready to pick, a French bean, you can't go away for the weekend. You can't even really <laughs> go away for the day. That right. bean is ready to pick. You pick yeah. it. Yeah. You have to put it in your fridge or eat it right away. When a lemon is ready to pick, you can leave it on the tree for up to six months. Yep. Don't have to pick it. It doesn't go downhill. And when I have picked them because sometimes I'm pruning in the fall and I'm and that's what led to this whole growing thing. I prune and I pick these lemons. I put them in the fridge. They only last a couple of weeks in the fridge, but on the tree they'll last for the whole winter. I know, isn't that amazing? It's so amazing. So that's what happens. Is I cover them, I put the Christmas lights on, I have the thermostat. Now of course the younger generation, maybe you were in that group, I don't know. My neighbor's son bought an online thermostat that he runs through his iPhone and he is a person that works away from home. So he knows, oh gee, going to be freezing tonight at home. He can turn on his thermostat from his phone. But you know, I got all those kids and grandkids and guinea pigs to hear about i don't really have time to be checking even my (laughs) phone to see what the temperature might be i might be watching netflix and meanwhile it's cold outside so i just have the automatic old Mm -hmm. school manual thermostat it turns itself on when i'm
0: it's kind of a click thing it's like so you know it's a click thing so when it gets cold it goes on thank you for that because i have i brought with me from phoenix um my three favorite uh, citrus trees. Oh, yeah. What did you and bring? I brought a Caracara navel. Okay. A miniola Tangelo and a Trovita orange. That's mm-hmm. a Trovita orange is like a navel. Um, mm-hmm. And when I got here, I got a, Ponder- a Ponderosa lemon. Okay. And the I just. Figured- bad news.
1: Good news is mm-hmm. lemons are very cold tolerant. Bad news is oranges, not are so not- much. Yeah. You want to keep it around freezing. So keep yeah. them around 32. Yeah. So, because like here, and it's probably going to be like that there, you get those high low craziness. Oh, happening.
0: yes. Yes.
1: What I did with my because I had to try a Kishu mandarin. Have you done a Kishu mandarin? I haven't. Very tiny, extremely sweet, very good. The plant oh, wow. is only, I'd say it's in its fourth year. It's only about 75 centimeters tall. It has mm-hmm. about 50 Kishu mandarins on it.
0: Oh, nice. And the mandarins
1: ripen in November. And again, they stay on the tree until I pick them.
0: Until you pick but them. they
1: can't ripen properly if they don't have the heat. So they need heat. They really don't like to go below zero. So I've got those in the greenhouse. Mm-hmm. the navel orange that i was growing i could only get washington not my favorite type but it was the only one available we're a little bit restricted here in canada maybe in other countries couldn't get the like you said the caracara which is my favorite too couldn't get it so just went with the washington they're big now they're ripe, you know they're starting to turn orange but they won't be harvested till january or february yep exactly. again imagine these little two feet tall two, just over two foot tall trees they're not very big but yeah. i have both. Fifty little mandarins, and I have I I don't have three of the navels. These trees are only a couple of years old, but those are in the greenhouse, so we need that little yeah. bit of extra heat. Yep, my lemons are outside.
0: Yeah, that's what I've had figured I would do when I built my greenhouse. Is they would go in twenty-four inch boxes in the greenhouse, but it sounds to me like I want to put them in the ground.
1: If I had to do it again because it's in the greenhouse and I've got frost protection in my greenhouse. So I have just a little heater that comes on when it hits frost. Yep. And you can buy those little heaters just at the hardware store. People use them for sheds or things that they don't want to have freeze their crawl spaces or whatever. Those little heaters, because of that, if I had to do it again, I would put all of my citrus in a nice big pot that I could wheel out in the summer on wheels. Kind of like how they did it in France. Do you remember in the olden days? I actually visited that in the Luxembourg park in Paris. They have them in wheeled wooden crates that they can wheel. And when they want to transplant them, they build a bigger crate, but they just take off the old crate. You're not trying to pull a plant out of a pot and put it in a bigger pot. You can just take apart the crate. So that probably will work for you in your greenhouse with a bit of heat and again watering is another tricky thing in the winter do you have pipes that freeze there in the winter greg
0: oh yes you just have to be conscious of it
1: right so here i turn the water off because i don't even though we're we are still in canada you have to remember that we're on the right. west coast it's a bit warmer because of the water and the oceans but we do have to turn the water off in the fall and so because i heard this story from my friend in croatia about how drought tolerant lemons and citrus were I -hmm. thought you know maybe I'll just not water it during the winter because it's a hassle once you've turned the water off. And then I discovered the tricky thing is the leaves will be fine until they're not and then they start to curl up. So I thought, oh do I have a pest problem? Do I have this? Do I have that? No, it was just like they're gradually drying up. And even when you then start watering again, those original leaves have dried up, they just can't like a hand that's been curled, they just can't uncurl. So, I learned that slowly. You have to water them a bit, at least sort of once a month in the winter. So, you'll have to do that even with your pipes frozen.
0: Exactly. Well, and I run my fruit tree education program in Phoenix. And the watering schedule that I use in Phoenix in the desert, this is the low desert. It gets to 120 degrees in the summer, which is hot 70, I think. I, um, no, no, it's,
1: it's like 40 here. It's it's 50, probably even. Yeah. It's,
0: exactly. Yeah. It's hot. And mm-hmm. I grew up on a property that was flood irrigated. Basically, it got six inches of water twice a month in the summer and once a month in the winter. Yeah. And we grew all kinds of fruit trees on that. So that's where I learned. You water your trees once a month in the winter, twice a month in the summer, in the warm season. And when Phoenix, the warm season is April through October. A good deep water once a month in the winter is plenty for them.
1: You know, my sister also lived in Phoenix since she was renting when she first mm-hmm. moved there. And the old properties had, the town would drive around with a big flood hose and flood your, your front yard. Your yeah, yard, that's the flood the irrigation. You've never seen the front yards lower than yep. most people build up the yard. So it's an interesting and unique situation yeah really bad soil here it's very sandy so even with that i don't have to water them very much but there's a fine line between not very much and, and
0: freezing not enough yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly so you created with Stephen big a growing lemons in cold climates master class this we i want to know about
1: had, yeah yeah we did because steven had a tree given to him A Mm 50-year-old Ponderosa lemon given to him by a neighbor. Mm -hmm. And because the neighbor was aging out, moving on. And he gets about 50 lemons in his house because Toronto is quite cold. They're just, having just today it's winter in Toronto, just like it is everywhere else. So having a lot of snow, it's not quite winter here yet. We're not really getting snow. You're, you're not quite in winter yet, but you know, it's that late season where you could get snow at any time Mm -hmm. and he he has it in the house. And that's true. Wow. So we were able to speak to that lemon topic from can you eke out a living with your lemon on the West Coast or warmer kind of climates, borderline climates? Mm-hmm. And what do you do if you just can't eke out a living? And how can you manage that inside? So we covered off all angles. Nice. And I had meanwhile taken tons of cuttings of lemons because as I learned this covering of things in the winter, mm-hmm. you have a lot of extra
0: wood that you can grow. Yeah, so how are you rooting them? You're actually taking cuttings. What does that process look like? Well, typically with
1: lemons, especially Meyer lemons, they're grafted. Somebody was producing a million cuttings and they're rooted and they're being sold that way as a grafted tree. Mm -hmm. But I thought, how hard could this be? I'm just going to try to root it. And so I took with my lemon, first of all, big cuttings, just like, well, that branch is too long. This one's too wide. This one's crossing all the regular reasons that you prune. Things Mm -hmm. and I do that in the fall just to cover them up a little more compactly. Probably not your best time to take cuttings, but I did it then. And all the wood is what's called hardwood. So with oh okay lush growth, say for instance on an apple tree when it first starts to leaf out in the Mm -hmm. spring, that's lush growth, that's summer wood. But this is all hardwood. This is it's it's tough. You have to use your clippers. You cut it and then I cut them into little stems that are maybe six inches long, Mm fifteen centimeters. And then from there, I remove all the leaves except the top three, and I even cut those as little little flags, little triangles. So there's just mm-hmm. half or a third of the leaf left. Only three leaves left. Only a third. The bottom of the cutting is just above a bud. So if you can see a little leaf bud, that now that leaf's gone. The cutting is just below that. So they're all about the same size. And then I dip it into the hardwood. Again, you can buy different types of rooting hormones, Mm -hmm. softwood or medium wood, hardwood. I use the hardwood. It's the number three, but there's different brands. So just read the fine print. I didn't know Um, that. Yeah. Different kinds of rooting. Yeah. Yeah. so easy. And of course, all very short during the pandemic, you had to sort of route it out. You had to find it, but now it's quite available. So I take 10 cuttings that have all been trimmed and prepped. I dip them all in at once into the rooting hormone, put them in a singular little four-inch pot, just the traditional tomato pot that I would grow in, and then water them and cover them with a little tray cover and leave them on a heat base. So I use a heat pad.
0: Those are seed heating pads.
1: Yeah. And they grow. Yeah.
0: And nothing happens
1: for a while. They're just like, ah, da 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 da. What do you want from me? And then within a couple of months, I start peeking at the bottom of the pots. I can see a little roots coming out. And I separate them into their own four inch pot. And remember, they can take a lot of frost. So then mm-hmm. if it's going to get cold in my green, I do all this in my greenhouse. If it's going to get really cold, I'll cover them with just a little bit of, although I've got a bit of heat in my greenhouse, so I'll cover them with a little bit more of that Rime or that agribon floating row cover just mm-hmm. yes, to keep the frost off. And by spring, I got lovely plants that I'm selling to friends. Wow. I started with giving them away to family. And then I'm like, right. Mm. then they want to know, they want one for their friends or their neighbors or pretty soon I'm just... Yeah. And <laughs> I it- was charging $25 each for a one oh, gallon. Nice. But right now, here in this weird climate that I live in, they sell for usually $125 each. So, wow. I know people, because wow. there's so much paperwork to go through to move a lemon across the border. Mm-hmm. I really believe there's a huge market in Seattle and Oregon and these areas that are borderline. I think more and more people should do it. And I'm going to. Do like Steve's done and grow some in my house as well. Haven't started that yet because of pests.
0: Right. Wow. Now, one really important piece of this, I believe, is that um, the place on the branch where the leaves come out of—that's called a node, right? Yes. And you have to make sure that you have one or two of those nodes with the rooting hormone on it underneath the soil, don't you?
1: Just one. There's Just quite one. a big gap. There's quite a long internodal area Mm -hmm. on lemons, especially ones grown kind of outside with lots of rain and things. There can be quite a long internodal area. And if you just have an internodal area, there's nowhere that roots can come from. Roots can only come from that leaf node. That's the only place they'll come from. So I cut them, the rough cuts, and then I recut them so that it's just below. And when I mean just below, it's less than a quarter inch, it's just below that node, take off that leaf, Mm -hmm. stick it in the ground. So it might be in the ground, almost the full depth of that four inch pot. And then I've got that heat underneath. I've got moisture is just dying to grow. But I do find some of the branches don't die. They just have their little leaves and they're looking around, but they're not rooting. And when I've done the first batch of separating out, like I have 10 per pot, when I've separated them out and put them in their individual pots, if there's a couple that haven't rooted, I plant them anyways, and they usually grow.
0: Oh, interesting. I get about 80 or 90%. Wow. So you take 10 cuttings and put them in a small pot, all of them.
1: And so then I do, I ended up with 200 cuttings two years ago. And I was like, oh, what am I going to do with all these? But I found about eight out of 10 rooted. And so by May, end of May, I'm potting them up and selling them and then wow. they grow and then sometimes they'll start blooming right away and sometimes yeah. don't let them bloom anything fruit trees don't let them bloom too fast but lemons are just they have a will to live oh, so yes, i'm mostly they do. talking about meyer lemons and if people don't know the meyer lemon it's a very thin-skinned lemon it was a cross between a tangerine and a lemon so it's uh-huh. sweet
0: yeah it's nice. yeah they're nice they're nice for sure so how do people find your course
1: Oh, the course. They can look online. We've got that. You've got the link. I'll post that on the show notes maybe. Yep. And it's a, just a fun way because it's Steve and I, and he's only growing inside, and I'm mostly only growing outside. So it's a fun way to get lots of lots of questions. Like Steve will say, make sure to spray your lemons before you bring them in. And i am be like, no, don't spray your lemons before you... Pr-. You know, we all of us have different ideas. Yeah. My website way. for all kinds of interesting articles and pictures and more Details about lemons. My website is donabalser.com.
0: All right. So let's talk a little bit about bugs because I get lots of things from people, emails from people. They say, Something's eating my tree. What do I do about it? Well, you got to figure out what's eating your tree in order to know what to do about it. And it's not always bad, right?
1: Right. Not always bad. There's good bugs and bad bugs. I find the biggest thing on lemons and limes and all of my other citrus that I'm now addicted to and growing Uh is that they get scale. And scale is a sneaky little armored scale, a sneaky little insect that hides underneath what looks like a little cone. And it's green at first. It doesn't look like anything. It's just like a little spot on the rib of the leaf on the underside. And you don't think about it. And then next thing you know, it's got all the little babies crawling up and they're spreading around the plant. Mm -hmm. And if you've got ants in your garden, ants will take the scale and move it to where they want it, because just like with aphids, they can milk them. (laughs) They spread the scale, they multiply the scale. If you've got two scales on your lemon tree at the beginning of the year, the ants will spread them around
0: and make sure they've
1: transplanted them onto every available branch. And so the first thing with all insect control with lemons uh-huh. is to put out some little ant traps at the base of the lemon. Maybe you'll let the ants carry on in your garden, everywhere else, but around your lemons, they will might be highly attracted to the scale because the scale has got a sweet sticky substance. Uh... Oh, which good. will attract the ants. So if you've got scale and you've also got a thumb, you can just run your finger up that leaf and get rid of those. If you don't have ants, nothing else is going to spread them. You just have to look out for them. Yeah. Here's an interesting observation. All of my lemons outside don't have any scale. All of my lemons in the greenhouse, because I have now I have so many, I have to have some in my greenhouse over winter, mm-hmm. they have scale. All my citrus in the greenhouse, my oranges, my grapefruit, my, my mandarins all have scale. So I have to clean off the individual leaves, but the ones outside don't. And so one day I saw wasps around my tree and I think the wasps were going in and eating them They're also attracted. So wasps are a very beneficial bug. I know that I've seen them eat all kinds of pests in my garden, but outside, no problem. Do make a habit of a high wash, washing your leaves off with water. You can get a really high-pressure hose or put your thumb on that hose and make it really high-pressure and Mm -hmm. wash it underneath. Wash it every two weeks in the summer if you can. Not watering the plant necessarily, but just to get those leaves bug-free. And they really will wash off the loose little escaping scales. But the scales aren't going to kill the plant. Again, your thumb is pretty effective to just wipe. Once they turn mature, they're brown kind of gishy, you can squish them with your thumb and it's easy. But the other problem with citrus or anything that you're taking outside and bringing in is spider mites. Mm. Spider mites start to multiply and most people don't notice them until they see that fine webbing. And then they're like, Oh, what is all that? Especially if it's in the house, you bring it in, it's infecting your other plants. The good news about spider mites is that they go dormant when the days are less than 10, 12 hours. So they completely crawl into all the cracks of all your um, greenhouse cracks or your windowsills, wherever they leave and they go dormant or in your soil. But if you give extra light, if you think, I'll just be nicer to my plant and give it extra light, then the spider mites also come out and can reproduce in those dry indoor conditions. So keep it cold, keep it just to natural
0: light, and you'll be a lot further ahead. Okay, got it. Awesome. Well, thanks for all that great information. Love Um, it. I, you know, one of the big reasons I do this podcast is because I get to learn Uh, every podcast. I learn something new. And my big takeaway is that we can root our own citrus. Yes. I just never even thought about that. Yeah.
1: And they don't have to be, I mean, it is more complicated if you uh, grow a separate rooting stock and root it on, but it's easily done just right from cuttings. Just
0: just right from cuttings. Awesome. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to Talk about a time you failed, how you Uh, overcame that failure and what you might have learned from it.
1: (laughs) I think I said at the beginning, I'm from Calgary. We have those nice, deep clay soils. It's sort of the Midwest thing, right? They all Mm -hmm. have beautiful soils. And even though I had gardened and advised people about gardening for over 30 years, I didn't realize how important the soils were until I moved to this island where there is no soil. Mm -hmm. Literally, it's all white sand. So in the normal practice in the Midwest is you just seed your garden and then you can go away. You can go to Europe. You can go to, it doesn't matter. You can just go away because we have normal rains. This is how wheat grows. This is how barley grows. You put it in the ground. You forget about it. I Mm -hmm. tried that here. I put really ordinary, weird, not too unusual things like Brussels sprouts and Oh, Swiss chard spinach. I just planted it in early May because I thought we have such great Climate out here, it's going to grow. But when I came back a month later, the plants were less than a half an inch tall. Most of them were dead oh as we don't get the spring rains. There's no rain here. It's a it's a coastal. They call it a wow. rainforest, but it's a temperate rainforest. We only get rain in the winter. it Doesn't rain some years between May 1st and September 31st. So wow. it just doesn't rain. And so the plants came up, maybe had one rain, and then just did nothing. And there's nothing in the soil to keep them alive. So gardening. I think I was talking about soils, but really gardening is not all about frost-free days. And I just want to emphasize that if you think, oh, I'm going to move to Phoenix because they have 300 frost-free days. That's (laughs) not necessarily all you need to know about gardening. And so what I learned from that was really check out your soils, really adjust your gardening style to your local conditions. And it's not just about frost. It's also about
0: soils. Yeah. Big time. And what do you consider your biggest success
1: Oh, I think my biggest success is my greenhouse. I started with just annual things like growing better tomatoes. I think almost everyone thinks, oh, grow better tomatoes. No humidity on my tomatoes. It'll just be so better. But I've gone into all of these permanent things like like all of the various citrus. And I just love that. When people come over and I can give them a lemon, it's the biggest gift. It's something I always say, this is something money can't buy. It's a locally grown lemon. Right. i give it to them. I don't even throw out the skin. It seems so stupid. But when you buy a lemon, you do throw out the skin. You really mm-hmm. don't know where that's been, where it's come from, when it's been sprayed with. Yep. And when you grow your own, you grate it. You use those yep. little measured amounts of tiny bits of citrus. You just use it. It's just fantastic. So I do so many things. I even make, Thomas Keller has a famous brined recipe for chickens. I've followed that. Anything that seems exhausted, they, like use so many lemons, I'm like, oh, I can do that. And then I try it. And I think the lemons are my biggest highlight.
0: Nice. And what drives you?
1: Oh, I love information just for information's sake. I just, yep. need... not that I'm sitting updating my computer all the time, that kind of information, but growing information. It's such a 3D problem. Everybody's doing Sudoku, and I'm like, why don't they just take up gardening? Because as soon as you start (laughs) gardening, the climate, the elevation, the rain, the drought, the wind I mean, there's so many things to know, and it's such a multidisciplinary approach. But I just find gardening so engaging for me. And I've always been interested in just the eating. I think that's our first thing we eat. And right. they are like, hmm, that's really good. And then we grow a little bit more. And so I love that. So what really drives me is that new challenge. I grew eggplants this year. I thought surely if I grew my own eggplants, I would love eggplants, but I still don't like yeah, them. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> I, I thought they'd be so much better because I'd grown them. That might be yeah. the one place that hasn't, wasn't really that much better. But typically what drives me is just the challenge of it. Gardening is so fun and so challenging.
0: Wow, Cool. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why?
1: I've read so many good books this year. I do want to show you one. I know the readers can't see it, but I'll show it to you so it sticks in your head. It's called Finding the Mother Tree. And Suzanne Sim- Simard oh, has yes. been, have you heard, of heard it?
0: about this? I've heard about it. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. She has been quoted in so many books that when they say, well, the study done on this bizarre little island, Vancouver Island, they actually found out that the big trees, the mother trees, feed the baby trees. Mm -hmm. You walk through a forest and you see those tiny trees and you know it's really dark because you're in the middle of the forest. How is that tree growing? But the idea of nature is that when the mother tree falls down, those little babies will be there to grow. So now when I walk in the forest, I just took my puppy out this morning for a walk. And when we were out there, you see trees that have been cut off, but they're still trying to grow. Have you seen Mm -hmm. that where there's sort of a lumpy thing on the stem?
0: Yep, I've seen that here. Because
1: the other trees in the forest are still trying to push food through the roots, through the fungi, through the roots to get that tree to grow again. It won't grow again. It's just dead. So I love her story about finding the mother tree. They've changed the whole way they do forestry now. They're trying to leave some of these big mother trees because they're Mm -hmm. all connected to the baby trees. And when they plant little seedlings, little trees, when they reforest, they die if there's not a mother tree, Mm. something to connect them to the system. So I love that book. I love the whole story of how she discovered it. It was a very unusual. I mean, she's a woman. There weren't too many women foresters back in the day four years ago. So maybe she just looked at it from a different approach. Like, How is this happening? And it's very interesting. At that time, they used to spray regularly with Roundup everything in the forest to kill all the things that weren't the spruce trees or the pine trees. And then they found out that's not so good either because these trees work together. So trees work together. Suzanne Samard's book is called Finding the Mother Mother Tree, Tree. And I love that.
0: Excellent. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners?
1: Oh, just really anyone can garden. If you've got some seeds, you can do sprouts. It only takes a week. If Mm. you've got a lifetime in front of you, you can grow a lemon tree. You can have it for 50 years, 60 years. Steve got his from his neighbor after 50 years. So if you've got a longer, you don't have to keep it that long, but anyone can garden. And you can start, I will say a sprout takes seven days. A radish takes 30 days. A lettuce takes 60 days. It's not like just how much time do you have?
0: And you can garden. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Donna.
1: Okay. Thank you. It's been very fun. I while well, I love gardening, so.
0: Right. Well, and before we actually get to my last question for you, tell us about your books. What are oh, what are the name? Right. You've got a couple of books and tell yeah. us about them and
1: I've got one called No Guff Vegetable Gardening and it's uh, kind of based on a character that we invented called Guff cuz Guff is your neighbor He's over the fence and he's always saying, hey, I'd be fertilizing that now or I'd be pruning that. Our guff is your neighbor. He's always telling you what to do and when to do it. Mm. But we believe that if you just let the plant, you know, the garden guide you. So this is a vegetable book. And I just have to show you because it's so silly that we have so many funny images. But we also have little sections on how to do things like when to harvest them. People oh, think yeah. there's a day to plant. But then they think there's one day to harvest. And this was news to me. I didn't know that.
0: So no-guff vegetable
1: gardening takes you through seeding and soils and harvesting and we've got the red light green light thing if you see a red light don't try that plant today wait till you've grown some of the green light plants
0: oh very good
1: vegetable gardening and then because i was changing climates from alberta to here and i was so humbled by my whole experience of direct seeding that i decided i needed a journal and i had Always had little journals and scraps of paper. I wrote it on the calendar or on the the seed packet nightmare because then you'll lose the seed packet, you throw away the calendar. So I came Mm -hmm. up with a three-year, the three-year Gardener's Gratitude Journal.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And it gives you three spaces for every day of the year, even if you're not, except for one every four years for February 29th.
0: Yep because there's only
1: one every four years. So it just lets you write side by side. You can say like last year in November, I had 40 centimeters of rain in that one month. I've only had two centimeters of rain this year. So don't ask general questions like, how do I grow something? Start keeping track of your own garden, your own place,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: your own side of the garage or your own greenhouse, because you're going to find it's completely different from your neighbors even, because it's so personal and so different. And it's this 3D puzzle this better than Sudoku puzzle that you can test yourself with, but keep track so that you can see where you're at. So I really love the three-year Garden Gratitude Journal.
0: Nice, thank you, thank you. And how can our listeners get a hold of you?
1: Well, I think my website is the best bet. I am a dabbler with social media, so I'm sometimes appearing on Instagram and Facebook and whatnot. But if you always want to connect with me, I'm at donabalser.com.
0: Thank you, thank you. And you can find show notes